This is Catalog and Cocktails, presented by Data.World. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Catalog and Cocktails, presented by Data.World, the data catalog for leveraging agile data governance to give power to people and data. We're coming to you live from Austin, Texas, and somewhere else. Um, it's an honest, no BS, non-salesy conversation about enterprise data management with tasty beverages in hand. I'm Tim Gasper, longtime data nerd and product guy at Data.World, joined by Juan. Hey, I'm Juan Cicada, principal scientist here at Data.World. And as always, it's a pleasure. It's middle of the week towards the end of the day, and it's our time to take a break and chat about data. And today's data and, and AI. Uh, we have our guest today, which is Teresa Kushner, who is the head of North American Innovation Center at NTT Data. Teresa, how are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. Thank you, guys. It's so great to be here with you. So glad oh, to have you. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. I mean, you have so much vast experience and be able to go talk a lot about data and AI here today. But first, let's kick it off. So uh, what are we drinking and what are we toasting for today? Teresa, you want to kick us I off? Am, I am at work. So unfortunately, I'm not toasting. I'm not drinking anything, but I'm toasting to the success of this show today. How about that? Oh, awesome. Excellent. Yeah, no, we, we, we've had a little bit of some glitches to test them out. I think we're okay. We'll see how this goes today. <laughs> how, about, how about you, Tim? Um, I am today drinking a, a Cayman Jack margarita. It comes in a highly portable form, but it is a cocktail, which I thought was appropriate. Um, and uh, I will toast to hanging out with awesome data people, which we've got uh, two awesome data people here and one person who's drinking margaritas. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm actually I have my I have a, a real cocktail here today. It's it's called the beat beat the jet lag. It's a beet infused Don Julio with dry curacao, lime juice, agave, uh, and some lagavulin spritz. I'm actually getting off a plane. I'm at the United Polaris Lounge right now. Uh, so we do this live, real live. So I'm cheering for. Hey, get to travel and get to pause and go find a find a place to go do the podcast. So here we are. Cheers. Awesome. Cheers. Incredible. Yeah. So, well, kind of timely warm up question, which is planes, trains and automobiles. What's your favorite way to travel and why? My favorite way to travel is automobile, uh, simply because you get to see everything and you can stop when you want to. You don't have to pay attention to where you are or get, a, get your seat up and to go to the restroom. You can just stop and do your thing. I love that part. How about but you, Tim? I'm waiting for, I'm waiting for my uh, self-driving car because I figure that'll be an even better way to get around. Yeah, I can't wait for that. That'll be fun. Um, I do like the freedom that comes with uh, driving in an automobile, right? You can kind of mm -hmm. control your, your own destiny there. Um, I really think trains are cool. Um, so, like, I think that's my preferred way to travel. But mostly because, like, I like the idea of it. I wish we had really good, you know, trains here in America because I would use that all the time. Uh, when I was in Europe and also when I was in Asia, using trains is, is a, a great way to travel and can be really fast. So, I, I like trains. Yeah. So, because so I'll, I'll have to take the other one, right? So I'm going to take planes. I mean, I um, I am a big avid flyer traveler. I've uh, I'm a United 1K. I've already flown a million miles on United. I'm literally doing this from the airport right now. So I I think it's fascinating is that you sit in that chair in some metal tube like for ten hours, and suddenly you're in a different world in a different environment that's just fascinating so i was i was in munich yesterday or this morning and now i'm here so that's modern teleportation cool. right <laughs> there we go but all right let's kick it off with our with our honest no bs discussion all right so Teresa, honest no bs okay. are the data teams keeping up with the ai teams uh Generally, I would say they're struggling a little bit. The data teams are trying to get the data in shape for the AI guys to use, but all the but there's a lot of work that has to be done from a data engineering perspective to supply that to an AI data scientist. And that's why most of the data scientists say that 70% of their time is spent on getting the data right. And then when the data scientists take over, they create feature sets that are brand new sets of data that 
somebody in the organization has to manage. So it's a it's a sort of a they need each other, but it's a contentious relationship often if they're if data engineers are assigned to data scientists. That last part that you said that when the data scientists get the data, which will come from the data teams and then they start generating these feature sets, which themselves are other data sets. That's something that that's something that the data teams are not managing very well. So you may have, so you may have, for example, some governance set up for the data data from the data teams and the data products that may come out. But then the AI teams are doing things too, and are they following kind of the same guidelines or not? I think that's a, that's an very important uh, something yeah. to consider because then we're not we're not, we're not being aligned within the organization. Yeah, that's a that's a very big consideration, especially from a governance perspective. I was talking to someone this morning about the fact that when we look at governance overall, there's a brand new way of managing data, and uh, we're looking at data as a product. That's what that's what all the new organizations are doing is how can I look at my data as a product? What kinds of things do I have to do to protect it? What kinds of things do I have to do to manage it or catalog it? But in that world, there's got to be an exchange somewhere and a governance process that manages the data so that I can know if I'm in marketing, how much my data is worth to sales if they, if they want to utilize it and what the value is of my information. So we've got we've got some contentious things from a governance perspective set up. And if you're managing your own product and your own organization as a data set of some sort, then you have that kind of control where you can actually say who gets to use your feature sets and who doesn't. You know, so you you've got a sort of a contained environment, which is sort of what we're heading for with the Web 3.0 and some of the other kinds of innovations that are coming down the pike. Interesting. Do you find that, um, you know, data teams and AI teams are often kind of embedded with each other? Are you finding that um, they tend to be very separate from each other? And, and if they're separate, like, are they helping each other or are they kind of avoiding each other? Right. What's the relationship between these teams? Yeah, it just it just depends on what the culture is in the business that you go into. You know, if if you've got someone who's got a strong data culture and everybody in the organization understands the value of the data and they're helping to manage it, then you don't find that contentious relationship at all. I've managed analytics teams a lot in my life, and usually the analytics teams are set to take advantage of whatever has been put together from a data perspective. And usually the data resides in an IT organization because data is created by applications and applications belong to IT. And so that's where most of the data sources end up. And analytics teams don't often end up there. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. They often end up in finance or in operations where they can use the information to be more valuable to the business. So that sort of sets up this divide, and it shouldn't be a divide. You know, there should be a coming together of those two sources for sure. Interesting. Yeah. So there actually is a, in some cases, structural reason why uh, these groups are in different parts of the organization. And if your company is not good at making those different groups uh, work together or has a culture that's against mm -hmm. that, um, then that can cause some problems. Um, interesting. Okay. Yeah. So, so w one thing that you just said there is, w which I find very insightful is that the data teams are usually the ones who are starting to go. I mean, the, the AI teams are the ones who are consuming the data, right? And then also this happens a lot in the analytics, but they're not used to be able to, they're, they're not used to be the ones who are producing the data. But we're now starting to see a shift of like, well, hey, if the if the application is the one producing the data and then you have the other teams who are consuming them, you is, this is not just a divide. Like, oh, you're a team that produces data, go manage that. You're a team that consumes data. Here's how you consume it. We need to have kind of the, the these ways of being able to go say, hey, you're actually producing and consuming at the same time or consuming and then producing based on what you consumed um what are your what are your thoughts and kind of guidelines on on, on how we should best kind of define a, a, kind of best practices approaches for teams who are teams who are only producing data i don't know if that's actually the case teams who are only consuming the data and teams who are consuming and both uh, producing the data yeah it's a really it's a it's a very 
interesting sort of conundrum that we are in right now because you're absolutely right. The AI teams produce data because they do produce feature sets. They also produce algorithms that go into all kinds of applications. And so that becomes almost a data set itself. You've heard this, this concept about um, data is the new code. And, and in a way, that's exactly what we're talking about. So now all of a sudden you have people that have got to manage all different kinds of data. And it's not just data that is coming at them fast, like streaming data or IoT data. So it's not those kinds of types. We haven't even talked about that yet. We're talking about normal, ordinary data. And how do they manage that in an organizational in an organizational construct. They manage it with the IT organizations because that's where they need to be, but they also need to be able to manage it with a data structure and a data organization. And I've been around you guys long enough to know that you predominantly sell or try to sell in to the chief data officers, okay? But I'm sure you've noticed that chief data officers And I think we lost Teresa there for a second. Oh, Teresa, no. you're back. We're, you're back. You're just saying that you're you're selling into the chief data officer. Yeah. So the chief data officer, but the chief data officer has acquired this new thing called analytics. So they've got a chief data and analytics officer. And what that does is that it puts all of your data in one place so that you can begin to manage what you need to manage from both a data and an AI and analytics perspective. So I think that's where you see a lot of these coming together. Again, though, I always hesitate to tell people this, is that when you give the responsibility of data to, an, or to one organization within a company, everyone else says, it's not my problem. And that, that's sort of like when you give quality control to a quality organization, quality doesn't become anybody's problem but those guys. And I think that that's, that's what we're seeing is that a lot of the analytics and a lot of the data quality and a lot of the data problems that go to the chief data and analytics officer, they stop there. So it's gotta be an integrated organization. And that's why I'm kind of excited about having data products because data products puts sort of a dispersed uh, organization out to each of finance or to marketing or to HR. And it gives them the right to control their in the way that they think is important, gives them the right to secure it, gives them the right to have it used in a certain way. So from that perspective, that's also where you guys come in, because a lot of what happens with those organizations is the first thing they have to do is catalog and, and manage their data, get it in shape so that they can be able to sell it or to be able to process it in other organizations. So there's a lot of opportunity for you in those spaces. Yeah, interesting. And, and so when you, just to go back a little bit to those data products, uh, you know, conversation that you're that you're bringing up, and, and that's a that's a topic that comes up quite often on the show. Um, uh, you know, are you thinking about data products in terms of you had mentioned that like that gives the opportunity for the group to have more, um, you know, ownership and, and control mm -hmm. around that? Are you thinking about that in terms of? Uh, the data products that are coming more from the different parts of the business that they they can then kind of publish a yeah. data product into this marketplace uh, or, yeah. or things like that? I guess the best example that I have is that uh, in working in a lot of organizations, um, HR data is pretty secured data. Okay. Mm -hmm. And to get HR data into a sales organization or into a finance organization usually takes an act of God or the CEO, whatever. It's not one of those things that people just make available. But if HR can make their data available from a, in a product sort of way, a productized way, then you have the ability as a sales organization to purchase that data and use it in the way that would create value for your organization. That way, HR can feel better about securing it and making it part of their product set. So they can they can do the things that keep their data up to to keep it up to date, that keep it accurate, that keep it moving within the organization. Okay, so you said, you, you, you said yes, it does. And you said something key here, which is 
purchasing the data. Mm-hmm. I am very eager to dive into the, the so couple things. I want to talk about this purchasing the data. So what? It, how are you thinking about chargeback models around this? I want to expand mm-hmm. on that. Second, um, I want to expand also on the CDO versus the CDAO. How, mm-hmm. What is the true differentiation around this? Because, I mean, putting the analytics in there, uh, there's a difference in there, but I wanted to find, uh, kind yeah. of continue on that thread. And the third thread is something you said about data as code for AI teams. All right. Let, so I'll, I'll let you continue because this is fascinating discussion. This is going on. Oh goodness, I don't even remember where any of those were. Um, <laughs> so let's, let's start with pur- purchase, purchasing data. Purchasing Expand data. Expand on your thoughts on purchasing data. It's okay. First of all, let's let's look at what we have to purchase. And purchasing data starts with first of all, you have to value it. You have to set a value on what your data is. And I'm not talking about selling your side the company. I'm talking about the value managed between organizations. So um, you can value your data in any way that you, you have to, but you've got to get it straight. You've got to have the metadata there. You've got to know what the value is to the people that you're going to make it available to. And there has to be some sort of exchange. In some of the organizations where I've seen this work well, you have an exchange that is a a centralized corporate function that actually manages what people can put in. So they control what the cost might be or how it might be worked between organizations, sort of like the stock exchange does in a way, but it's an exchange. And I think that's probably the best answer to it. And it also gives you a place to manage governance a little bit more effectively. You get a centralized organization that's managing the exchange of data across the organization. That's a very helpful thing. I, I like this comparison you do with the stock exchange. Uh, the, the, this, the, this makes sense. And, and, and it also, I think it's some bar, right? Because it's not, you're not going to put all data in there. It's like, wait, wait, wait. You have to, uh, the, the, the data that is going to go into that exchange uh, is data that has well-defined value that other people are already convinced, right? It's almost like you're going to do a, an initial public offering for your exactly. data. Yeah. This is a fascinating point. I was, I did not think we we're going to get here today. I love this. <laughs> well, the data products uh, analogy kind of ties in well as well, right? Because, uh, you know, to, to put something on the exchange, you need to make that product available. It has to meet certain standards and things mm-hmm. like that. And it very quickly tells you where you should be putting attention to the data quality. If your product is not moving in that data exchange, if nobody really wants to use it, why are you putting it up there? You know, don't you have a different process for managing it than you might have for something that's more valuable? Actually, and in actuality, the feature sets that get created in an AI organization are often some of the most valuable data sets that could be made in the made available in an exchange. That's interesting. I, you know, I, I think um, there's a lot of our listeners that may not be as fully versed in some of the things that are going on in the AI space. And so I'm, I'm curious if you could go into a little bit more detail just for, um, uh, for folks that are looking to understand a little bit more, like what are sometimes these feature sets that are coming out of AI teams and things like that? Yeah, and I'm and why to... is that like a useful data set, you know? Well, for example, um, I might have an application that keeps uh, information about um, the square footage of houses, okay, that I'm selling if it's a real estate application. Uh, but I also keep the how those how much those houses sell for in a different different set. So if I'm creating something in in an artificial intelligence uh, algorithm that where I really want to have the cost per square footage managed, and it's not a field in any data that I have, I create a feature set. And now all of a sudden, I have a brand new data element that can enter into my algorithm, enter into my analysis of some sort. That's what I'm talking about feature sets. It's that creation of those of those data th- uh, elements that come together that may not be in your data in a native way. It's got to be something that has to be created. Right. Okay. So now you've got these new fields um, that can be leveraged that um, are augmenting your data here. And in, in some cases, certain AI applications may be creating 
many hundreds, many thousands or more of, of these types of different observations and fields, right? This is another, this is a fantastic point because you think that the, in this exchange that you could have, like what are the types, what are the data products people would be interested in are the ones that, that would augment the data I have. And those are the ones that could probably be traded the most. And exactly. those are probably not things that are specific to my company, right? Specific, not, not the transactional type of data that's going to be used for analytics, but it's other external things. So could be, it but, could but, be well yeah. So, so that's a, that's a very interesting point to go do that. I mean, tr to try to find like what has the most value, right? Well, defining value here. The exchange too can be used for external data as well. You know, if you have, yeah. If you have external data, because if you've got an exchange set up, then you've got a way to manage who's using it, how much it's valued at when it's used, how often it's used. You know, you've got information about that data that you wouldn't necessarily have otherwise. Yeah, this, is, this is great. So let's go on the other on the topic of the, the CDO versus the CDAO. Like, how, how are you seeing this today? Uh, because, I mean, because from my perspective, CDO is what you hear the most and not as much CDAO. And, and so let's do you def please make the yeah, definitions yeah. Of, of these two and how they compare. Yeah, it's um, in organizations where data is really, really important, you get a CDO and the CDO understands what to do. I just read an article today about the fact that we're not hiring CDOs that understand the business. For the most part, CDOs are getting hired as technical people, people who grew up in the technical side of the house. And CDOs need to be people who understand the value of data. And that doesn't necessarily mean you have to understand the value of data infrastructure. It needs you to understand the value of the data that you have. So I think that what happened a couple of years ago is that we saw the rise of artificial intelligence. Everybody, everybody, every CEO in the world, everyone I talk to, we got to have an AI team. Well, what does that mean? You know, and why do you have to have them? You know, so because they needed AI, they thought, oh, well, AI and data, that goes together. Let's put analytics into the chief data officers organization. And let's face it, most of the time managing data is not a very sexy job. I got to tell you, it's hard. It's just, you know, grill it. It is just the most thankless job in the entire world. And I tell you, for 25, had that thankless job. So uh, it's, it's not one of those things that's just really everybody wants to go into. But analytics, everybody does because analytics drive revenue, it drives cost savings, it drives all the things that executives in a company like and understand. So now you have the worst job in the company, data, coupled with the best job in the company, and you've got an all right job. But one or the other, it's not the same thing. So... I love it. <laughs> this this is a perfect, honest, no BS take right there. CDO. No, this is this is perfect. This is I love this because because um, yeah. I, I mean, you, you see organizations whether they focus on the data and and, and they and they get too much into the weeds too, right? And they lack yes. all that business that business literacy. They understand the, the people outside of their bubble doesn't know like why are you doing that? Like I don't see the value of that. I'm like oh, but we need all these things. Like oh, I don't I don't understand that. But the moment they do the analytics. That's when they, that's that's how they connect more. But how are you successful in analytics? Is, is every that if company, you know the business? Exactly. Every company I've ever worked for, where they told me I needed to go do master data, the next thing I would tell them is, when I get this all together, what are you going to do with it? Because the interesting point is, is that nobody cares about the data and how it's cataloged or managed. That's like, how do you care about your library? Did you Are all of your books in alphabetical order in your personal library? Yeah, pro probably not. And if they were, what value would that bring you? You know, it would save you X number of minutes a day because you know exactly where this one volume is. But, you know, Executives don't understand that. What they do understand is the use of that data once it's been cataloged and managed and available for use. And it's that analytic side that captures the attention. 
Hmm. So never take a data job without taking the analytics job too. <laughs> Sounds like you're that's, pro keeping them that's, together. <laughs> that's my so, recommendation. No, so, so, so this is a good point. Is it, should, should there be a CDO or should there be a CDAO? If you're going to put analytics, if, yeah, you need to put them together, I think. Yeah, it needs to be a chief data and analytics officer. So you, so you're, you're, are you predicting that CD, the titles of CDOs are going to go down and we're going to see CDAOs increasing? Actually, the article I was reading says that's already beginning to happen. That's beginning mm. to happen. I think it's like 70% of uh, corporations that were in this survey have CDOs, but they're just now beginning to move them to see CDAOs. And, you know, that's where the attention will get because that's the point at which you can prove that your data is valuable is with the analytics that you do with it that's interesting i know that at data.world we work with a lot of different roles we work with a lot of CDOs. we work a lot of cdaos and it is interesting to see when you're working with somebody who's more of a cdao who has more analytics in their in their role as well just how they're approaching some problems differently, right? Like, whereas a CDO may get pulled more into like, ah, oh, we got to do our master data management initiative or whatever. You see CDAOs often getting pulled more into, hey, we've got some sort of a business problem. We know that data is, there, is the answer to solve it. And I'm tasked with making sure that we can solve that problem, right? Yep. Exactly. And they have a they have more of an urgency sometimes than a CDO does. A CDO knows this is he's in it for the long haul. You know, it's not a job that you can do in a year or six months. It's a job that takes years to do if you're trying to clean up someone's data and make it available to everyone in a in a way that's acceptable. You know, the CAO, the analytics officer is out there to generate things immediately. They've been hired to bring in and use that data as quickly as possible. So it's a matter of, that's why when you mix them together, you sort of get a good feel in the middle. Yeah. So if you do mix them together, then you are bringing in the, let's be efficient. And, and we call what I call the efficiency and resilience. So you we need to go solve our problems today, but we, let's make sure that we're building that infrastructure. We're building that, that that muscle on creating data products, focus on the data side, when the technical thing, but the analytics is what's connecting it to the business. Right. Um, so another thing that you came up, I'd like to expand is data as code. Data as code. Can well, you expand on that, please? Well, I think that what we're seeing a lot of is in the, in the AI world, you know, Data makes AI work. Without it, there is no AI. You know, it's all predictive patterns. And in these kinds of environments, all of a sudden, what you do with AI and an algorithm, all the data that's used is the code that is being managed. And I give a good example is that um, at NTT, in the Innovation Center, we do a lot of things with what we call virtual humans. In other words, responsive avatars. And the data that comes in for those avatars is being pulled from a lot of different places, not just information that we want the avatar to be able to answer a question with, but the avatars are reading your facial expressions and deciding how they should respond to you. That is becoming part of the entire makeup of what we look at from a code perspective for that avatar. So that data becomes part of what is actually fed out into the avatar itself, into the vision that you see on the screen. So it's data is code. There's a lot more behind that. And I'm not technical enough to be able to tell you all of it, but that is, that's one of the things that we're looking forward to in the future. And when you start to look at web, when you look at the web 3.0 and what we're doing with that, the community of a web 3.0 environment is to have the data be part of everything that works in that and we're going to protect that data we're going to be able to manage that data within that community and so the code making it part of the code part of what you do the other thing is is that with generative ai we're not going to be generating code very much longer anyway the ai algorithms themselves are going to start to generate the code 
And that's going to make it very different. I mean, we already do that. We generate art with AI. We generate music with AI. We generate, uh, oh, my favorite. We generate white papers with AI. That's my favorite. Because I can write a white paper in about 20 minutes with, a, with an AI generating capability. Yeah, I just saw, what was it, yesterday, a couple of days ago, one of the... Uh, another of these language models that took all the scientific papers, right? And then they're like, well, now you can just make summaries, tutorials about the latest uh, bits of science. Now, uh, now that that stuff is, is not always working very well, but, but, but that's what we're heading towards. So, so yeah. for sure. So, so then what is, what are your suggestions for, for companies, organizations that, that have kind of the data teams and the AI teams, the, the CDOs or the separated mm -hmm. from the AI analytics, like, what is, what's, what's your message to them right now? Oh, where they have everything separated out and, you know, is you can do that if you've got collaborative people. I mean, if you're, we've got Republicans and Democrats in uh, Congress, they've got to be able to work together. You know, I'm sure a really big challenge, but, you know, it doesn't matter where you put it. You've just got to make sure that the systems allow you to talk together and you're going after the same things. I think the thing that I would look at is, you know, people operate on directives that they are given and what their KPIs are, because that's how they usually get paid. So manage your KPIs effectively for data and for the analytics team manage them together so that it, they have the same sort of goals to go after. That would be my advice. Whether you've got them split up or you've got them in the same organization, look at what you're managing with them against. Interesting. That's a, that's a very key one because I, it, 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 it pisses me off with all due respect. I say this when, when, when you see people say, well, no, data is everywhere so it's super hard to go put the roi on our data that we're doing i'm like uh that's crap that's that's just an excuse you need to be able to go define understand how you're providing that value because if you're not guess what everybody in the organization is accountable everybody, yes, everybody. So, like what, what why are you on some magic high horse or whatever that you can't know of course so, mm -hmm. so if you're not able to go do that then you're in the wrong place and you're actually you're not being set up for success so yeah. and so what i like is how you're saying is like the, all of these teams the data analytics teams they should have shared kind of kpis going forward and they should, they, they both need to understand where the business is going yeah. and, and align this that's a that's a and very key point right there and align it yeah that's the thing is that data is so important. It's so it's so much. It's sort of the blood of the body of a corporation. You know, it makes things happen in the company. But for years, it's been something that's been sort of neglected. It's an afterproduct of an application or an afterproduct of a. You know, I'm pulling everything together. I'm putting it in one space. It, we don't treat it right, and uh, it needs to be broader accepted it's that it's that same concept of quality if i give quality to someone else it's their job which means i don't have to be have to any kind of quality about my work because it's your job you got to check it out you got to do all the qa to make it possible you know we've learned a long time ago that doesn't work you've got to get quality thing to everyone so everyone manages data everyone manages data it used to just yeah. irritate the bejesus out of me for sales guys to say, when I was trying to create um, capabilities from an analytics perspective, and yet sales guys could not be bothered to enter information into salesforce.com because that took too long, or you're gonna stop, you're gonna stop my sale or something. Without the understanding that what they put into that application could be used to develop more clients for them could be used to sell more products for them, you know, and it's, it, it was such short sightedness because my goal was to sell product. Now, if I had a goal that was a KPI from sales that also said, I've got to maintain my client information at a certain level, wouldn't that be nice? 
This is so spot on what you just said right here. I mean, everybody needs to be part, everybody is managing data and everybody needs to take responsibility of the data and the quality of the data. And, and just, the example you just gave, like, hey, salespeople and Salesforce, go go add it in because it's going to have an implication. I mean, you are right there, the person who is producing the data. The, the data is being produced by human, not a machine right here. So we got to take ownership about that stuff. And it reminds me, I bring this up. I know we're in, we're the, the non-salesy podcast, but but this is a really great example is one of the folks that we work with, uh, ProLogis, they, 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 the CEO has a mandate on quality of data, CEO mandate. And they, they said the 20% of the bonus of everybody in the company is tied to the data quality. And what they did was identify very specific business use cases that they tie it to. Here's a column of data that if there's no values, the example I always give is like, there's a height of a, a height of a warehouse. What happens if I don't have the correct height of a warehouse? Right. I, I, I'm leaving money on the table because I could have packed more boxes uh, when I mm -hmm. there, or, or I'm, I actually thought I could pack more and I can't, so I'm into trouble, right? But right. the goal there wasn't wasn't about, oh, let's go in, improve the quality of data, of certain data elements. No, it was about creating that culture. And I think this is exactly. a super important part about it. Um, so yeah, the, the, I really, really love this. And it ties back to how we're actually providing value here, right? Within the, right. the data side and the analytics side. Who do you guys service most? Do you service the CDO or the C, I mean, or the analytics officer? I think that's a good question. I think we most often are seeing um, catalogs being adopted and, and brought on by the, the data office, the CDO, um, some cases, the governance office, right? Um, uh, data architecture in some cases, right? So we're seeing it more uh, that sort of central data office of some form or fashion. Um, in some cases, it may be, you know, analytics and things like that, but not as often as you might think, unless it is kind of a unified function where it's more data and analytics together. At least that's what we've been seeing. Yeah. Know, so. and, 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 and I would actually argue that you, you see people coming in more from the technical side, right? Oh, I need to, like, oh, we need catalogs to be able to go manage oh, lineage or oh, where does this data come from? Right? A lot of more technical things or, or, or protections, right? The governance is to protect the data. Uh, and then there's on the other side, there's like, well, no, we need the data to be found. So then those folks would have um, our, 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 our play is to go do discovery data. When you go search for data, so those types of, of of use cases we'll see are more about. I need to expose the data, be able to go use it more for analytics. So we see both of those types of things. So, and 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 the and a trend that we're definitely seeing constantly is about the data products. Mm -hmm. I think everybody's talking about it, and 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 everybody and there's a handful of people who have very opinionated views about them. <laughs> Tim and I have one. We have our data products ABCs. We're opinionated about that. There's we, we're, we're just figuring this out, but I think the principles of like, hey, there needs to have some sort of, of responsibility ownership around that stuff, and and what we're what I'm starting to hear more, more and more, but 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 little, but um, but still more of it is the value was kind of value to the yeah. data products, and, and I think the issue that we're going to have when we start to look at data products is that the skill sets for managing a data product are a little bit different than those for managing data. So, you know, that's the issue that we're trying to that we're trying to, to solve is that you actually have to have sort of a product manager in there. They have to understand what it is to create a product, um, sustain it, test it, make it available, understanding their market. It's a little different than just managing data. So I think that's where we're gonna we're gonna hit a little bit of I'll stop I, I, I really like that you're bringing that up because I think that um, folks are underestimating that at the moment, right? I think they're excited about this idea of data products and they're like, oh yeah, we should treat our data more like a product and uh, start to build out some data products and identify them and things like that. But there is definitely a mentality and an approach and a toolkit 
that mm -hmm. product managers have if you just want to bring it That's from right. the software world around, right. you know, like what you mentioned, testing. Another aspect that I, that I like to bring up with folks is around the life cycle, right? Oh, Usually data, we just think, oh, yeah, you produce the data and there it is. It's That's sitting it. in the lake, right? That's but a product it. manager right. thinks, oh, well, oh. maybe I should retire that product or, you right. know, is it deprecated? You know, is, you know, you think about the life cycle of it. Right. And, you you know, as a product manager, you have to think about the market, too. What am I really doing with this? You know, I mean, do I need all of this? All these are skill sets that people that manage data don't have in abundance. And so it's going to be it's going to be a different world. Right. This data, is something that experience design is going to maybe start to become a thing. Yeah, what are, what are the user stories? We've, we've been talking. We've been talking about data marketing. So like. I mean, apply market, marketing 101 principles to how we do data. I mean, you have to, who are the, who are the users, right? Well, I mean, yeah. go, go talk to these, go talk to the users. What is the market? Where, where is it heading? And let's actually go promote it, right? So you exactly. Have, uh, let's go create ads for our data. So it's like, right, right. That's right. Right. And how um, people and understand how people are using it today and give those examples. Right. And because at the end, it goes back to the K KPIs. It's like, well, if, if this is actually producing value and can we get if, if, if some groups already getting value out of this, yeah. maybe and, others and can get out of it, too. So let's product, go see. Ver product versioning, you know, things like that, you know, that you might today, the data might represent certain thing, but tomorrow it's going to be different. And what are the versions? How do you keep that? How do you make sure your customers are still happy? It's, it's all the, all the things you learn about software management from a product perspective. Yeah. But even more, I, even I take it, it's what is product, but also it's, I think, the marketing side. And I've been That's having these discussions. I think we, I, I encourage like all their data teams out there, the data analytics teams, is to go talk to the folks in your marketing team. Mm -hmm. Tell them, hey, assume that our the product that we sell is our, our, our internal data. How should we market that? I think that's something we're not we're, we're not considering. I mean, we, we're, we're not even scratching the surface on that. There's so much to go do. It helps us also to get more integrated with an organization. Let's have everybody talking about this stuff. Yeah, yeah. Oftentimes, though, it comes back to that question of you can't really create a product around something that's not valuable. So you have to determine what the value of the data is, and that's that's where yeah, a lot of people get lost to begin with. Ah, definitely, definitely. And so, so before we head out to our to our lightning round, I'd love to kind of wrap up with like just your final kind of takeaways that you would like to go. What is the message you want to go give out to, to to more of the the, the teams out there, right? Because we discussed like there's a missed opportunities by data engineers and data teams, but they need to go step up. So, what what is if you have those data teams out there who are listening to you, what's your message to them to say how can they keep up with all the analytics and the AI efforts that are going on? I, one of the things I would say to the data teams, and I've seen this a lot, is that as data teams, we get really integrated. We want to go deep into what we do. We really want to understand if it's uh, master data or if it's uh, ETLs. We, we really want to understand that. And I would encourage them to broaden it out. To This is, this is the, the time where it's important to understand the big picture first. And to, to make sure they understand the entire landscape before they zero in on one part of the data supply chain, so to speak. Okay. So I'm, people like to zoom in. It's time to zoom out and see the <laughs> forest from the trees. Exactly. Exactly. It is time to do that. And I'm, you know, I've been a data lover for my entire career. So anything in the world that is good for data has got to be good for the world. That's the way I look at it. If you can manage data well, you can manage the world well. And we've learned that already. We learned it at COVID. We didn't, we didn't have good data for COVID and we didn't manage it well. We don't have all the data we need for managing climate control. So manage the data well and the world takes care of it. I love that. That's a great, uh, great um, thing to recommend and to say there. And, you know, maybe one last set of takeaways before we move to a lightning round, you know, for companies out there that are thinking about AI initiatives and how AI can 
hashtag make an impact. Mm. Do you have any tips on folks trying to, you know, scrounge up funding for, for AI initiatives or what can be most impactful to focus on? Yep, I do. This is my favorite question. I always tell people who are looking to do AI teams, I always ask this question, what is it that is the biggest problem in your company that you think AI can solve? You know, and they don't necessarily understand what that big problem is, but they're willing to go solve it. So if you can find a problem within the company that is something that they really care about and apply AI to it, that's how you get an AI program sold. What I've discovered over these years is that a lot of times the biggest problems in a company can be solved with just plain ordinary analytics, not necessarily AI. But AI, they think they need because it's the magic word. And quite frankly, Gartner's told us that AI includes analytics. You know, it's sort of the entire world. You know, now we're calling everything AI. So I think that that's that's sort of something that people need to look at is why would you really spend all of that money to put up an AI organization if you can do it with statistical analysis? Oh, this is a perfect, I love this. Thank you for sharing it because this is like, this is, you gotta be honest and no BS with yourself and everybody right now. Do you really need all this fancy AI or could you do it with, with your, with our traditional BI reporting analytics tools? If right. you can do that, then what is the extra value that it provide? Otherwise, you're trying to go use this fancy object, fancy tool. You don't need to. Be honest and no BS, please. Yeah. And <laughs> apply AI for the problems that really should have AI applied. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, I, th- this has been an awesome conversation. Let's go to our lightning round, which is presented by Data.World, the data catalog for successful cloud migration. I'm going to kick it off. So are AI opportunities in companies underinvested at the moment or overinvested? I think they're underinvesting always in data. Everybody underinvests in data because it's easy to sort of skimp it. Um, and a little bit of overinvesting, I think, in setting up AI organizations that may not be useful. Interesting. That's helpful. Um, all right, second question. Um, you mentioned that CDAOs are a rising trend. Yes. Should AI be part of that charter? Should it be CDAAIO? Well, you know, it's it's analytics. I just throw it all in there together. The A, you know, the A is AI and analytics. Yes, it should be. It should. Be. Hold on, did, analytics did it, and AI together. Did it, but didn't you just say that Gartner's saying that and that's confusing people because that's then they're playing? Yeah, all right, they so, do. All right. So A means analytics and AI, but know which one you're well, using, which are the A's. Yeah. And, and the problem with it is, is that artificial intelligence is not just one brand, no one variety. You've got NLP, you've got all the different kinds of, you've got machine learning, you've got all these different sort of things that AI is. And so it became sort of the umbrella term for everything. So from machine learning and for NLP and for statistical analysis, it became everything. Mm. That's a very right. good ne- point. Next question. So we're now seeing these roles called AI engineers or ML machine learning engineers. Oh. And we have data engineers. They continue mm-hmm. to rise. Does that mean that the data scientist role is going away, or is this just a rebranding of the data scientist role? These are these are just taking what the data is because we can't find data scientists all the time, and because they're sort of rare um, and they're expensive. Once you do find them, what they're trying to do is utilize as much of the data scientist as possible by creating machine learning engineers or data engineers to support the statistical, the guys that are doing the statistical analysis, the guys that are running the codes. So that's why you've got this machine learning because machine learning um, data engineers are going to be the ones that are going to end up managing the product of the feature sets. You know, they're going to have to work those back into some organization of some sort. So machine learning engineers are important. I have seen that. In fact, not too long ago, I had to do a job description for what a machine learning engineer is versus a data engineer. 
Interesting. This is an interesting takeaway here, Ron. Augmenting the data scientist with more specialized roles since it's hard yeah. to find all these data scientists, right? Yeah. I was at MIT a couple of weeks ago and I heard one of the professors there say that by the year, and my light's going out here, uh, by the year 2000. Through 2030, we would require about a million more data and data scientists than we have. So, I'm sorry, my lights, my lights. Have, I'm in, I'm in witness protection. Oh, no worries. Actually, this was funny because it happened. The exact same thing happened to our guest last week. Yeah. <laughs> His advice was, you got to move around in your office. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta move around. <laughs> All right, final question too. All right, so our fourth question here. Uh, right now, the dashboard report is kind of the primary thing that people think of as the end result after you do a data analysis, right? It's like, oh, it's the dashboard, right? Um, is that going to change, you think, as AI expands and proliferates? Or do dashboards just get better, more trustworthy? I think... I think what happens to dashboards is that instead of you having to go to them, they come to you. You know, that the information a dashboard has is going to be so versatile that it it comes to you instead of you having to go to a dashboard. Now, there'll still be some things that you're going to want a dashboard for, because quite frankly, that's a way of looking at information in some places that's really helpful because you can compare things side by side. But the data that you need in order to make decisions, you should be able to get anytime, any place, as quickly as possible. And that sometimes takes away from a dashboard because the dashboard you gotta, you know, you gotta refresh it, you gotta call it up, it's gotta be, it's gotta be there. So I think dashboards just get better. And I think the movement of the data is gonna get better too. Awesome. Yeah. Better movement of data, better dashboards and Dashboards that find you. Maybe they anticipate you. questions that you have. Exactly. We got to start putting this AI inside of the dashboard then, right? So the same way you like, right. you, you have the, the, the AI that's writing your, your white paper, then you're going to have your AI who's going to write up and tell you what the dashboard is. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's, AI it's, it's, it's ana that's analytics and AI together, right? The AI that's wrote it. the analytics. That's that's really. it. And that's the, and that's the data's code. Okay. There we go. We circle it all together. But I mean, yeah. honest, no BS here. Like that's not crazy. I mean, like, like if you actually are able to understand what are the, what are the problems you are, are doing and you under, and you see kind of different ways of, of representing data and stuff like you, I, I can foresee that. Actually, I'm curious. I'm not, I haven't seen any work or anybody or any tools or companies having the automatic generation of uh, dashboard or stuff. Uh, that's coming. You, you can see that in places. Yeah, you can see automatic generation of a dashboard, automatic generation of, and display of data. That happens in a lot of different places. All right, so time for our take with Tim. Takeaways. TTT Tim, take us away with takeaways. Yeah. So tons of awesome takeaways today. Um, thanks so much, uh, Teresa, for joining us. Um, so we started off with generally data teams are struggling to keep up with the AI teams, uh, that there's a lot of work that has to be done to support the AI teams. Um, uh, you know, a lot of the data preparation work, data engineering work, so much so that even the AI, engin AI engineers are having to do a bunch of time spent mm -hmm. preparing it and, uh, and munging the data, right? Um, and not only are the AI engineers and the broader data teams needing to process the data, prepare the data for AI work, the AI work produces data. It produces these feature sets and the... And these uh, and these uh, derived data sets that then become additional data that you want to leverage that can provide value to the company, um, and this starts to tie into and this will come through our uh, our takeaways a few other times here. This idea of the data product and like oh like these there's these data products coming out of the AI teams and a product approach could be a better way to standardize because uh, you asked that question right of are AI teams following the same standards and approaches as the other day as the other data teams probably not by default mm -hmm. 
Um, are the AI and the data teams working together? Kind of depends on the culture of the company. Many companies that, you know, have collaborative cultures, you know, those teams probably work pretty well together, but in some cases it might be a more contentious environment. And what you find, what you also mentioned, sometimes you see these structural things where actually, you know, an analytics or an AI team may more often than not be actually embedded into a part of the business, whether it's a particular product area, finance, marketing, uh, some other part of the business, whereas the data team might be more centralized in a place like IT. So structurally, that can maybe cause problems at times. Um, the way to help people focus on creating data products. Uh, we also talked about purchasing data and purchasing data can also be, you know, data products, third party data can be data products. And a place where you can manage your data products pretty effectively uh, is maybe this analogy of like an exchange. It's kind of like that stock exchange that you have, where it's like a central corporate function uh, where people can put in data products. Um, they can be empowered to make their data available to others. You can get governance through that. It's kind of like a stock exchange. And uh, if your data product's not being traded, then uh, that's where maybe quality comes in and you need to do a better job of enhancing the quality so it gets traded more. So I like that analogy. And uh, Teams that produce data, teams that consume data, and teams that produce and consume data, AI is, you know, something that can affect all of that. Um, and you mentioned this idea of data as code, um, where, you know, everybody really manages the data. Everyone has responsibility around the data, and treating your data as code can be kind of a, a form and a, a way to think about this from a sort of a, a conceptual standpoint. So, so much more, but Juan, over to you. Yeah, so I love the whole C our discussion about the CDO and the CDAO, right? So you said you've been reading, you were analyzing that CDOs have been hired that have more of a technical background. They're not business people, and and yes, the CDOs they need to understand the value of the data, but that doesn't mean that they need to know all the all about the data infrastructure. So it, it's this balance that needs to have, and 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 let's be honest. Managing data isn't always the sexiest job, and not everybody wants to get into it. But analytics, that's the one everybody wants to get into it because that's the one that is direct and cost savings and revenue. So the CDAO is actually combined the worst and the best jobs together. Uh, the CDAO, this is a good trend that we're moving towards, and, and, and they are in a position to make a bigger and, and, and a broader kind of business impact. And how do we get it in different organizations who have these two different teams separate, the data teams and the AI teams, like how do we get them to work together is with those KPIs, they need to be managed together for the different teams and have them get focused aligned to the business. Um, we're going to see all the skill sets for managing data is different from managing data products. I think this is a very, very important takeaway here. Uh, for data products, we're thinking about it needs to be tested, is it sustainable, make it available, you need to understand your market, what is the life cycle of the data, what does it need to be uh, taken down what is the, how do we do versioning? Who are the customers? What is the marketing behind this stuff, right? This is very different than just the kind of like the, the pure data engineering side of the, of the infrastructure. Uh, and then kind of recommendations, data teams, they want to go very deep and understand the details, but you're encouraging them to broaden out and understand the big picture. If you can manage data well, you can manage the world well. And I see somebody wrote a, wrote a comment about manage data, manage the world. And I, I kind of like that one. And then finally, advice for folks looking into kind of setting up their AI teams. Well, people will like, well, what is the biggest problem the fund the fund the company faces and let's go put AI on it? It's like we gotta be careful. I mean, because sometimes those problems can be solved with statistical analysis. So we really need to understand what are the problems that the company has today that truly can be solved best by AI and not by existing approaches. Teresa, how did we do? Wow. Anything we missed? Anything to add? No, that was great. That was great, guys. What a roundup. Amazing. Yeah, well, I mean, we just ran it up what you were talking about. Yeah, so this that's is all you. That was all you. So that was great. So, okay, well, let's throw it throw it back to you for three final questions. What's your advice? Who should we invite next? And what resources do you follow? I mean, people, books, conferences, blogs, podcasts, whatever. Oh my. Um so what's your advice? What's my advice? Uh, I think I've given you a ton of it already. My my advice is I don't think that data is going to get less important in an organization. It's going to get more important. So my advice is to start paying attention to it now if you're not. If you are already, pay more attention to it. 
spend more money on it, put your better people on it, do things that make it different for you. That's my advice. Um, who should you invite next? I'm going to tell you, if you haven't already had her, you need to have, you need to invite Maria Villar. Maria Villar is the chief, uh, is the head of data for SAP. She manages and teaches a master class in data. She's great. So you might, that might be someone that you want to talk to. Um, what do I read? Oh, you know, I read everything. So I, um, I think the best solutions for today's problems come from understanding everything that's happening in the world, not just what's happening in the technical world. And so the technical world, I, you know, I do a lot of uh, reading of, um, I think that the newsletters that come across TechCrunch and some of those, I do that. So I try and keep up with that. But then I read a lot of technical papers too. We're a member of the MIT uh, organization. So I read a lot of research from MIT. But I, th I think that it's still, from a data perspective, it's responding to the world in the shape that the world is in today. So look to the world for your data and for your capabilities. This is a beautiful way of wrapping up this fantastic discussion we had today, Teresa. Thank you so, so much. And just a quick, uh, next week is Thanksgiving in the United States. So Tim and I, we're going to take a quick break. So next week, we won't have any, any live show. After that, on November 30th, we're going to have Allison Sagraves, who is a former CDO of M&T Bank. She has been at had been an entire journey for, I think, 20 years at M&T Bank, closing out as a CDO. So it'll be a fantastic discussion with her. And then after that, on December 7th, Tim and I are going to be live at DGIQ in Washington, D.C. We're going to have we're going to be the closing uh, event at the DGI, DGIQ conference with Catalog and Cocktails. So if you're in Washington, D.C., let us know because we're going to be organizing some fun events. That's great. Yeah. And then with that, Teresa, thank you so much. This was a fantastic oh, conversation. You it it was great. It was wonderful. You guys are great. Well, Cheers, Teresa. Cheers. This is Catalog and Cocktails. A special thanks to Data.World for supporting the show, Carly Berghoff for producing, John Loyans and Brian Jacob for the show music, and thank you to the entire Catalog and Cocktails fan base.